So you may be aware of the old and somewhat typical Jewish joke about the newsroom, the Yiddish newspaper, where someone comes running into the newsroom and says, we just heard a comet is coming to Earth and it's going to destroy the world. And we have to put out the newspaper. And the editor said, well, at least I have the headline. He goes, what's the headline? World destroyed, Jews hit hardest. The idea is when something catastrophic happens, we tend to think, how does it affect the Jews? Sometimes, that's an exaggerated concern. Sometimes, it's based on history. I don't know how many of you are aware of the history of the Jews of Ukraine. And I don't only mean the 20th century, although I'll get to that in a second, but I mean the history of the Jews of Ukraine. In the 1700s and in the 1600s, uh, the 15 and 1600s, the 16th and 17th century, Jews began to move into what was the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And they began to move there in great numbers, and that increased over time. And they were living for Jews in the late Middle Ages and past the Middle Ages pretty well. And they were fairly well integrated into the world around them. And then in 1648, Bogdan Chmelnitsky, who was a military hero, helped foment a revolt, and war began. And in 1648 and 49, there were what is known in Jewish history as Gezerot Tach the Decrees of 1648 and 49. In that time, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of Jews were slaughtered a third of the entire population of the area was killed. I'm going to read you the testimony of just one, although there are so many. Aharon Shmuel Kedenover, who later on became the rabbi of Krakow in Poland, was a scholar and a writer and a teacher. I lay alone with a broken leg, lame and crippled, when God destroyed the Polish and Lithuanian communities. Everything I valued was taken from me. My wealth and possessions, my family, my two little girls murdered as martyrs, and all the holy books that I had written. I thought I would be cut off from the land of the living, for I was defiled and filthy, rolling in the blood of the martyrs on the street who had given up their souls to die. I was starving and so thirsty that my tongue stuck to my palate. 
The enemy brought me to be killed many times, and I stretched out my neck like a lamb to the slaughter, but God, in his great mercy, has kept me alive until this day in the land of the survivors. That was written a decade later. What happened to the people who survived? Most of them, most of them became refugees and a large percentage were sold into slavery. The Tartars came, took the Jews and sold them in slaves throughout the Middle East, especially in Istanbul, which was the capital of the slave trade at the time. Imagine this, Ukrainian Jews taken by Tartars to Istanbul to be sold as slaves. What happened as a result was that the entire Jewish world started to raise money for Pidyon Shvuyim, the redeeming of the captives. When I was in the synagogue in Siena, I remember seeing there, as I was led around by an Italian non-Jewish guide because there were no Jews to lead one around the synagogue, and I saw carved into the walls of the synagogue were tzedakah boxes. And they said in Hebrew, for Aniyei Yisrael, for the poor of Israel. But they weren't just for the poor of Israel, they were to redeem the slaves that were being traded throughout the Middle East. And we have stories of people who wrote books so that they could make money so that they could redeem their children and their spouse who had been sold into slavery. And I bring this up because this is the reality of Jewish history and when we hear Ukraine, if we don't know that Ukraine has a long history with the Jewish people, then we don't understand something about the situation today that I will get to in a minute. Now what happened after things calmed down was Jews began to rebuild because that's what we do. And towns began to be rebuilt and people went back and dug up possessions that they had buried when they fled. And that's why when World War II started, there were three million Jews in Poland, three million. Because around that area, the Commonwealth of Lithuania and Poland and the Ukraine and so on, Jews managed to rebuild from what was called at the time Khorban Ukraine. Now, those of you who know Jewish history no Chorban before this time was used for only one other event in Jewish history. What was it? The destruction of the temple, Chorban Habayit, which meant that this catastrophe, which was the greatest catastrophe in European history until the 20th century, was thought of as equivalent to the destruction of the temple. Now, as I said, over time, Ukrainian Jews rebuilt. Polish Jews rebuilt. But even at the beginning of the 20th century, before the Holocaust, 
between 1918 and 1921, there were over a thousand anti-Jewish riots and military actions, commonly referred to as pogroms, throughout that area in 500 different locales of what is now called the Ukraine, and you can read about this in a book called In the Midst of Civilized Europe. As you can read, by the way, if you want to, about all the slaves who left in a book called Rescuing the Survi Rescue the Surviving Souls, the Slave Markets of Istanbul. Because Jewish historians have traced what happened to the Jews in that area. So even in the early part of the 20th century, thousands upon thousands of Jews were killed in what is now Ukraine. Once World War II started, different nations had different levels of collaboration with the Nazis. Different levels of anti-Semitism in different nations. Without giving you too many details, I will only say Ukraine was brutal. Brutal to the Jews in its midst. And I don't have to tell you what happened to the Jews of Eastern Europe. To millions of Jews. I tell you all of this in part because the truth is that the story of Ukraine is in part a Jewish story. Because I bring you now past the worst catastrophe in Jewish and perhaps in human history to the current day. Nobody should ever be blamed for what their ancestors did. However, nobody should be unaware that the way your ancestors believed and acted can sometimes be a signal for the way you believe and act as well. We're talking about Russia invading Ukraine. The president of Ukraine is a Jew, which is, by the way, an astonishing phenomenon in and of itself. But it has not gone unnoticed in Russia, because the president, former president of Russia, Medvedev, referred to him, Zelensky, as a man with certain ethnic roots. Yep. A man with certain ethnic roots, and then suggested that he concealed his Jewish identity to serve the interests of the Ukraine nationalists. Have you ever heard about Jews hiding who they are to serve the nefarious interests and undermine a country? 
There it is, right there. And then said that his betrayal of Russia, and betrayal was an exact quote, made him like the Sonar Commando. Do you know who the Sonar Commando were? The Sonder Commando were the ones, the Jews who were forced to clean the ashes of the bodies of Jews who were killed in the camps. When you use that kind of rhetoric about someone, I don't have to tell you that what you are doing is appealing to deep, ingrained anti-Semitic stereotypes in Russia and in Ukraine to undermine the credibility of the president, who is, as he has said himself, the number one target of the Russian troops. Now, this man, who started his career as a comedian, of all things, and I don't want to suggest that some of our politicians haven't been comedians, but none of them professionally were comedians, right? We've had a long, long line of comedians stretching back as far as I can remember in different offices, in different places in our nation. That's just the nature of politics. That's true all over the world. But an actual professional comedian to become a politician, that's remarkable. So you have a Jewish comedian who becomes president of the Ukraine. And now what happens? So first of all, we all of us have to pray that this ends quickly and as peacefully as possible because we know enough to know that wars are easy to start and hard to stop. And they always have unintended consequences. And they shatter lives. And they are indiscriminate in who they kill. Those of you, and some of you mentioned it to me when I came here today, who saw that absolutely unspeakable video of a tank rolling over a passenger car and crushing those within it, know that weapons and bombs don't discriminate between the good and the evil, between the soldier and the civilian. And not only that, but we also know that even soldiers are children. They're young on every side of a conflict. And they too deserve to be able to grow up and have lives. And so our larger concern as Americans, as human beings, as citizens, is that this invasion will end quickly and peacefully. But I'm a rabbi and I'm speaking to a bunch of Jews, many of whom fled a country that had turned against them. So let me just say that I fear for the Jews of Ukraine. I fear, first of all, for that hero, Zelensky. God bless him. 
who, though he could have left and could have fled, did not flee and has not left. But I also fear for the 40,000 people in Ukraine who identify themselves as Jews. Because all I know from history is that when there is war in that part of the world, Jews do not come out of it well. And so the first thing I want to say is, I hope that you will consider making a donation to Hyas, to the JDC, to the Jewish Federation, to some organization that is committed to taking care of the refugees of Ukraine because there will be refugees, this is war. And the second thing I want to say, and I say this again with a full knowledge that the tragedy is happening to Ukraine. This is not a tragedy of the Jewish people. It's happening to Ukraine, and my heart goes out to the people of that country. But I also know the history. And I thank God that should the Jews of Ukraine have to flee, and some are already fleeing, that they have a place to go. They didn't have a place in 1648 and 49. And they didn't have a place in 1918 and 1919. And God knows they did not have a place in 1942 and 43. But now they do. And our job and here I speak about our home as Jews. Our home will take them in. The reason that Israel is the home of the Jewish people is because of what Robert Frost said was the true definition of home. He said, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. If they don't have to take you in, it's not your home. If a Jew is in trouble, Israel has to take them in. And I tell you now that I hope I am wrong, but I suspect I am not. That a month from now, or three months from now, or God knows a week from now, there will be tens of thousands of Ukrainian Jews who will be making a new home in Israel. And if they do, we will weep for what happened in Ukraine and be so grateful that they had a place to go. It is true, America might take some, 
Give me your tired, your poor. That was a principle of our country, but we also know how often, how often it has not been true when it has come to the Jewish people. And so I stand here grateful beyond measure for two things, one personal and one national. The first thing that I am grateful for in ways that I can never express and to people to whom I can never express it is that my great, great grandparents and my great grandparents on the other side had the wisdom and the foresight to leave that place and to come here. And my national gratitude, my gratitude as a people is that there is a state of Israel so that when a Jew has to flee, they can run towards home. Please rise for Hatikva.